Hail, Potter. We who are about to die salute you. You are listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for gladiators. Hello, Minister, bellowed Percy, sending a neat jinx straight at thickness, who dropped his wand and clawed at the front of his robes, apparently in awful discomfort. Did I mention I'm resigning? You're joking, Purse, shouted Fred. Thickness had fallen to the ground with tiny spikes erupting all over him. He seemed to be turning into some form of sea urchin. Fred looked at Percy with glee. You actually are joking, Purse. I don't think I've heard you joke since you were... I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And... Oh, there's an airplane going by. But on the bright side... To the uh, reviewer who said that you would stop listening until we were able to not talk about our dog every 10 minutes, which first of all, like, ouch, uh, he's not here, so you won't hear him squeaking. George went to daycare today. Anyway, we're done talking about him, but... This is for you, reviewer. Anyway, on this podcast you will not hear small, sharp barks. We are talking about a doozy of a chapter from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. They're doozies from here on out, y'all. I actually thought this one was going to be more depressing than it is, and it's only very, very depressing at the very end. Anyway, it's yeah. called the Battle of Hogwarts. Just one person dies. Yeah, which like no. Oh two no, people that's die. wrong. Yeah, never mind. Well, and when, a like, bunch of other people kind die of, off screen. You know, <laughs> off page. Anyway, spoilers. A lot of spoilers. Um, cursing and some adult themes. And uh, speaking of doozies, this week's adult themes are ultimatums, child soldiers. Hoarders, Hellfire, and When Two Become One, which Alex thought was a sweet reference to Ron and Hermione, but I was talking about the twins. So, woof, woof, woof. That is a double entendre? I don't know. Is it only double entendre if it's sexy? I don't know. Entendre is a French word, so maybe. Probably only sexy. sexy. It has a double meaning. That is wordplay. I suppose it's something akin to. Anyway, Alex, oh boy, what happened this week? Well, in this week's chapter, and buckle up for probably, it's probably going to take me two hours to describe what happens in this 50-minute chapter. It's 50 minutes on audio On audio, yeah. Oh, that's wild. As the Jim Dale flies. <laughs> uh, Man, it is way faster to read than listen. If it was read by Ileana Kadushin, however, it would be a four-hour chapter. We're so mean to no, poor Ileana. No, she's a good reader. She's a good reader. I don't think she's a very good reader, but also she had to read. Just, anyway, we're going to accidentally talk about Twilight on this episode, probably because Alex is bogged down in the middle of one of the worst books either of us has ever read. But you can just look forward to that. Anyway. Uh, he can't get through this book, It's y'all. my own personal invasion of Russia. Like, <laughs> God, what a weird metaphor. <laughs> is Midnight Sun. Uh, Ilyana Kadushin does, she doesn't read this book, but she does show up also in the Dune audiobook, which is weird, because you're like, oh my God, Bella's on Arrakis. That went right over my head. Wait, does the Dune audiobook have different voices? Yeah, different people play different characters. Oh, and the chapters are from different points of view? Uh, no, but... There's, like, a character will say something in, like, a different actor's voice. Sometimes in the Dune audiobook. Not always. It seems, like, totally random. Well, whatever. And this is just one version of it, I think. 
on Audible. So, uh, you know, uh, also I just saw Dune last week, so. I don't think we should talk about whether you like Dune or not. I think you should tell us what happened in the Battle of Hogwarts. If Bella was on Arrakis, Alex, she would like never, no. okay, we can't. Alex, <laughs> you no. Can't. I love you so much, you but can't. no, stop. You can't indulge. No, stop. <laughs> what happened in this two weeks chapter? In... This week's chapter, McGonagall is rallying the troops in the Great Hall and providing instructions for the evacuation. She's she's telling the prefects how to get all the students out of Hogwarts via the Room of Requirements to the Hogshead. A Slytherin asks, where's Professor Snape? Which, you know, excellent question. Uh, McGonagall says he has, in the common phrase, done a bunk, which I didn't... Is that common? I've never heard that. It must be... Maybe in the early aughts in the UK. It must be Britishism. So Snape's done a bunk. She says the protection on the castle won't last, so you need to move quickly. Suddenly a high, cold voice echoes through the hall. I wonder who that could be. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's a ring. It's Sorry. His, it's, it's, his, it's like his ringtone? No, it's, don't the ring... I was thinking of the like ring doorbell software. Can't you like say things to like intruders in your voice if they like come and like no i have no idea how that works i invented Uh, that wholesale all we Um, have is the apartment buzzer that's been here since uh and it's broken probably buzzers were invented uh i didn't know you could do that with ring that's so weird totally can you record just like futile messages just to guilt them like hey please please uh, i honestly may have completely invented this I'm going to stop talking so you can actually get through this. I apologize. Well, they hear a high, cold voice echoing through the hall saying, You with the barricades, listen to this! Oh, God. No. (laughs) We got a lot of feedback that we sang too much last time. I do not wish to spill magical blood. You have no friends. You're on your own. Give up your wands or die. I'm not engaging. But that was very nice. Thank you. He gives him a deadline. He says, give me Potter by midnight. Nobody gets hurt. I really respect the teachers of Hogwarts. False. Uh, Yeah. What a liar. Pansy Parkinson, remember her, gets up from the Slytherin table and says, he's right there. Grab him. Students from all the other houses draw their wands and point them at Parkinson. McGonagall says, thank you, Miss Parkinson. You will be the first to leave with Mr. Filch. So, Basically, McGonagall says, GTFO, all the Slytherins leave. They base every, the whole Slytherin table, like, up in bales. Uh, and then, like, a good chunk of the Ravenclaws, also because, like, all the underage kids are leaving. Um, Ernie McMillan of Hufflepuff stands up and says, what if we want to stay and fight? I can't, sorry, my accents are atrocious. Uh, McGonagall says, if you're of age, yeah, hell yeah. So the Slytherins bounce. McGonagall gives more evacuation instructions. Kingsley Shacklebolt stands up and describes the battle plan. It's not that complicated, basically. Couple groups to the highest towers, led by Sprout, Flitwick, and McGonagall. They're gonna, like, provide, like, a suppressing fire of curses. And then Lupin, Weasley, and Kingsley, they're leading troops onto the grounds. And Fred and George volunteer to defend the passages leading into the school. A very safe job that will involve no danger whatsoever. Nobody's going to die doing that. You don't have to worry about them for the rest of this chapter. McGonagall says to Harry Potter, aren't you supposed to be looking for something? And Harry's like, oh, yeah, fuck. I guess I am. Uh, (laughs) He somehow forgot about the Horcrux. He was very swept up. He was very swept up. 
into the moment. He was thinking, this story shall a millennial teach his son. (laughs) Harry's still looking for Ron and Hermione. He doesn't know where they went. Harry finds that he can't think without them. So that's pretty sweet. He, But, you know. Also, like, think. Yeah, think, dude. So Harry's like, oh, shit. I have to solve the mystery by myself in, like, really, like, 15. It's, like, 15 minutes to midnight. The Hogwarts doomsday clock is is ticking. So he thinks. He's like, think, think, think. Like That's, a, that's what Winnie the Pooh does, I think. Yeah, it yeah. is. So <laughs> Harry's like, think, 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 think. Lovo thought I'd go to Ravenclaw Tower, but nobody has seen the diadem in living memory. Then Harry has a eureka moment in living memory. Eureka! Harry tears off the search for nearly headless Nick. It's chaos everywhere. Harry sees Zachariah Smith bowling over the first years to get in front of the queue out of Hogwarts like he's that bad dude in Titanic. <laughs> uh, What's that guy's name? I don't remember Billy the character's Zane? name. Billy Zane. But he's like... I have a child. I have a child. I have a child. I have a first year. Yeah. <laughs> I have a first year. I'm like, you don't have a child, Zachariah Smith. Uh, he finds nearly headless Nick and says, Nick, who's the ghost of Ravenclaw Tower? Nick is low-key offended. He says, well, it's the gray lady. But if you need, if you need, like, some ghost help, you, I'm your guy. You know a guy. You know a ghost. <laughs> I know a ghoul who knows a ghoul. It's me. Uh, but, you know, Harry's like, no, only the Grey Lady will do. Don't we also call the New York Times the Grey Lady? That's an irrelevant tangent. Which I don't really know why we do that either. Because newsprint is gray? It's black-ish. Uh, oh, the paper is gray. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this is the worst newspaper ever. It's just this got a gray font. Um, Yeah, it's black, white. And red all over. I guess it's black and gray. Anyway, we're not here to talk about... What color newsprint The color is. palette of the New York Times. Harry sees the gray lady helping the Ravenclaws with the evacuation. Yeah, all the, like, ghosts are, like, aid workers right now, basically. <laughs> More like docents, really. Yeah. <laughs> Harry sees her. Uh, she's got, like, waist-length hair, floor-length cloak... He's kind of like, she might have been hot once. Right, but she looked, quote, haughty and proud, unquote. The worst two things a woman can be. Yeah, Am I right? She? Yeah. Disaster. Uh, he asked her about the diadem. She brushes him off because, you know, everybody's always bugging her about the diadem, she says. Uh, Harry says, if you care about defeating Voldemort, I have to know. So she kind of splutters something about my mother's diadem. Harry's like, wait, your mother's? The gray lady says, that's right. I'm but 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 this is a direct quote. I'm but 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 motherfucking Helena Ravenclaw. She says more knowledge won't help you beat Voldemort. Harry's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I don't want to wear it. I just <laughs> need to destroy your mother's precious diadem. Um, so Helena spills her non-existent guts. Uh, she says, I stole the diadem. I wanted to make myself cleverer and more important than my mother, and. I ran away with it. Ghosted my mother, if you will. (laughs) Harry has no idea how he got her, how he like managed to gain her confidence so quickly. Uh, Frankly, neither do I. But, you know, he's listening. She goes on. She says her mom never admitted the diadem was gone. She pretended she still had it, even to the other Hogwarts founders. So I guess, was she afraid they'd like judge her? I don't know. 
I guess it'd be pretty embarrassing. Like if Godric Gryffindor showed up and he was like, I Somebody fuck. took my sword. I don't know where the sword of Gryffindor <laughs> is. She's like, we all have one object named after us and you can't lose it. That's the rule. <laughs> Hufflepuff's cup. I guess it's the beast of Slytherin. But nobody yes. like knows about that kind of. It's like a rumor that yeah, comes Slytherin, later. No, isn't the locket Slytherin's? Oh, Slytherin's locket. But also he has a beast. So he has two things. Yeah. That's not that fair. So the, the Hogwarts. That's very in keeping with Slytherin. The Hog... <laughs> They're like, we got two Horcruxes, bitches. The Hogwarts. The Basilisk isn't a Horcrux, though. Oh, I forgot the Basilisk. And that it's its own thing. Different. There's like a yeah. whole snake motif. There's a couple different snakes. Yeah. Hogwarts HOA rules are like, you can't lose your magic object or you can't <laughs> go here anymore. Uh, but then her mom got sick. Horcrux Owners Association. That <laughs> <laughs> took me a minute. That's a terrible joke. Yeah. Um, terrible yet great. Oh, God. Um, terrible yes, but great. Okay. <laughs> anyway, her mom gets sick. Her mom got sick. She really wanted to see her daughter one last time. So she sent a man who, quote, had long loved me, though I spurned his advances to find me, unquote. Yeah, so Rowena Ravenclaw knew this guy wouldn't rest until she found her daughter. So we'll be unpacking that later. Who was this guy? Tell us. <laughs> that's an. Who's this dude? That's an excellent question. Could he possibly also be a character in Harry Potter whose backstory we have never learned? So the dude, we actually asked about this in, I think, episode one and or two. And people were like, just you wait. Because people have better memories than us. Just you wait seven books. It's a long (laughs) time for us to wait. Uh, This dude, who we shall unveil in a moment, tracked Helena to the forest where she was hiding. She was just hiding in a forest. In Albania, which is where Rita Ora is from. So, who weekly fans... uh, The Venn diagram just... It's true. Just the... True heads know. (laughs) What's Rita Ora up to? Hiding in an Albanian forest <laughs> with a with a diadem. Uh, the guy found her. He got violent when she wouldn't go. Jealous of her freedom. Or I don't understand that line. Jealous of what freedom? I guess the freedom, the freedom to just of be like living in the forest. Be like, bye. I'll I'll do whatever I want. And then stabbed her. The Baron always was a jealous man. She says. Harry's like the Baron. Do you mean the but but but? motherfucking bloody baron Baron. yeah (laughs) and then the gray lady like opens her cloak and shows like a single dark wound and she says when the bloody baron saw what he'd done he was like overcome with remorse and then he like stabbed himself a whole bunch and the chains he wears now are an act of penitence that he'll wear forever harry's like holy shit so wait i thought that was just his like aesthetic is he He's covered in her blood. That's why he's bloody. Oh, yeah. He's covered in Rowena. I mean, he's covered in Helena Ravenclaw's blood. Wait, who and is his this own, guy? And his own blood. It's I know, both. but I think it's supposed to be her. He's supposed to be spattered in the blood of his last victim or whatever. His first victim. I don't know. Do you know that? I we don't we know don't, that. Yeah, we don't know that. Who is this guy? Um, yeah, Harry's like, dang, dude. <laughs> So as for where the diadem is, she hid it in a hollow tree. Very fairy tale. Which is very fairy tale. Um, in Albania. Which is where Rita is from. Harry puts it all together. He says, you've, you've told this to someone else, didn't you? And she she's like is kind of embarrassed. She's like, I just 
this guy, he was so, he seemed to understand, he sympathized with me, which, like, I guess no one had ever done before, even though she's a literal murder victim. Yeah, but she had it coming because she ran away. And she, and she was haughty and proud. Yeah, how dare yeah. she? So, Tom. She wanted a crown. Tom fucking Riddle, man. But, you know, if you want to know something at Hogwarts, who are you going to call? Ghost Trusters. <laughs> coming they trusted harry and tom trusted these ghosts um oh my god harry figures it all this pun heavy which means i'm low on actual wit i need that (laughs) i need that diadem i need that diadem badly to make this episode hang together harry realizes riddle got the diadem from albania which is how he knew it was a good place to lie low years later uh it's not just because albania is lovely which this I'm sure time it is. of year, I've um, never been there. And he has. realizes he must have hid the diadem in the castle the night he came back, looking for a job from Dumbledore. So Harry is pacing through the castle, thinking all this over. When Hagrid crashes through a window with Fang. Wow, I read like, this chapter yesterday, and I literally forgot all about this. Part. No, Hagrid has this whole like Kool Aid Man moment. Where he's <laughs> like, Hey, Harry, bone-crushing hug, obligatory bone-crushing hug, Grop tossed him into the castle. They were, like, out hiding on the ground somewhere when they heard Lovo's voice. So he's ready for the fight. Hagrid and Harry are walking through the corridors and talking to each other super fast like it's an Aaron Sorkin scene. (laughs) Uh, Harry steps over a couple of smashed gargoyles, the first casualty of the battle. One of them says, don't mind me, I'll just lie here and crumble. So, sad sad gargoyles. Uh, But the stone face reminds him of the bust of Ravenclaw, and then another image comes back to him of an ugly old warlock bust whose head Harry put a wig and a battered tiara in the Room of Requirement. Holy shit, Harry thinks. It's where the diadem is where I hid the Half-Blood Prince's potion book. Tom Riddle actually thought he was the only person who knew about the Room of Requirement. What a dipshit beyond measure. (laughs) Meanwhile, some other scenes. Neville and Professor Sprout are rushing off to the battlements with mandrakes to lob at the enemy, and they're wearing, like, earmuffs. What do you think that's going to accomplish? It... It knocks people out. Oh, that's right. They're yeah. songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you not, hear them I mean, crying. Screams, but like, not everyone's wearing earmuffs, so this seems like maybe a shitty strategy. <laughs> it's like you Just... might, that might have some friendly fire casualties. Right, yeah. It's like when they first used like poison gas or whatever on like the Western Front, and then the like wind just like blew it back. Uh, this is not as bad as that. Harry's sprinting through the castle at this point. I think he's sprinting. I don't actually know. Harry's still moving through the castle. At some point, Sir Cadogan is following through the paintings, shouting encouragements at him. So way to go, Sir Cadogan. Moral support. Uh, Always good to, like, be playing the game on your home turf, you know? Sir Cadogan's, like, the sixth man, like, cheering squad out here. In one corner, he sees Mrs. Norris, who's hissing at a bunch of owls. So hi, Mrs. Norris. So I guess the owls got out. Yeah, the owls are out. Uh, everything. <laughs> this is kind of Halloweeny. Cats and owls living together. Mass, Mass hysteria. hysteria. We've made that joke before. I know. We have like ten jokes, <laughs> and we're just remixing them. Harry runs into Aberforth, who says Aberforth like stops everything, and he's like, "Wait, 
why aren't you holding the Slytherins hostage? I like how Aberforth is his own Quibbler podcast embedded within <laughs> Harry Potter and Aberforth the Deathly Hallows. Like, can we talk about plot holes here for a second? What are you doing and he's right all, now? And, and yeah, he does that. And he's also like, what the fuck is up with Dumbledore? Other Dumbledore. <laughs> like, let's just hold on. Let's talk about Albus. Uh, he's, yeah. So Aberforth's like, why aren't you holding Slytherins hostage? You just let them all go? Like, there's kids of Death Eaters. You could have used them as leverage. Harry says, your brother never would have done that. Aberforth, false, 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 false. <laughs> also, Aberforth should have been like, yeah, that's why it's a good idea. <laughs> Aberforth's like, also, I have a few issues with the scoring system of Quidditch and the Time Turners. The Time Turner doesn't make any yeah. sense. It ruins the whole <laughs> Harry's world like, look, we don't have time for this, man. We're in the He's middle of a war. like... He's like, Quidditch doesn't work. Um, I like. I feel like Aberforth should be like, yeah, who's dead? Which of us is dead? Who has better ideas? You're talking the to... The alive one. Finally, Harry finds Ron Which and Hermione. Which one of us got murdered by the guy that he trusted for his entire life with no evidence? Yeah, but it's deeper than that. I know, it's than that. deeper than that. Anyway. Plots within plots, which is from Dune. Oh, God. Um, um, keep going. Finally, Harry finds Ron and Hermione. Ron had the legit brilliant idea to go down to the Chamber of Secrets and take some fangs off, off the corpse of the basilisk for destroying horcruxes. Harry's like, how did you get in? You can't speak parcel tongue. Ron's like, well, you know, there's this great app where you can practice parcel tongue <laughs> a couple oh, no. times a day. Oh, no. What are you going to call it? <laughs> What should I call it? Oh, I thought you were going to have a joke. A Duolingo joke. No, just Duolingo for parcel tongue. They've added parcel tongue. He's like, (laughs) but you know, first you have to like figure out how to be like, I would like to go to the store to buy some pants. (laughs) Um, That fucking owl. You can buy that owl a little cloak. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the owls Mrs. Norris was hissing at. The owl flaps by and he's like, Ron. Ron, have you Good done job. your parcel tongue tip for today? Your streak is going to Great end. job keeping is your streak. Is still doing Duolingo? This I might think be a so. really old joke. Yeah, I don't know. I think it has math now, which that I need. Anyway, go on. So my unsung hero is the Duolingo owl for teaching Ron enough parcel tongue to open a door, <laughs> which is like, you know. It's hard. I thought parcel tongue, though, was something you were just kind of born to, yeah, and most is, wizards couldn't speak broken. it. This part's broken. Like, just move on. The it's thing broken. That Her- the thing <laughs> that freaked everyone out is that Harry could, like, speak parcel tongue. Right. No, you're not. I think you're not supposed to be able to just make the noises. There's, like, something deeper than like, that. Like, so no, Ron just doesn't. hissed at a door for, like, like, 10 minutes. <laughs> and I guess it worked? Eventually. No. Nah. That's the right thing. There's so many better ways she could have gotten around this that are not like Ron just hissed until it worked. <laughs> it's like, um, oh my God, I learned one time when, okay, sorry. I, when I, um, when I was in middle school, I went to a lot of bar and bat mitzvahs and like, I don't speak Hebrew and I don't read Hebrew, but my friend Rachel told me that if you just mouthed the word watermelon over and over, you would look like you were reading the prayers. Um, and I don't know why I needed to look like I was reading the prayers. Like, I wasn't Jewish, and, like, my friends knew that. But I just wanted to fit in, so I just mouthed watermelon. I don't know if this is offensive. It's just something that, like, my friend told me was how she, like, pretended that she was, like, doing the prayers in, um not church in temple 
So anyway, I just imagine Ron being like watermelon, 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 watermelon. <laughs> like, is that a, is that, a, I don't think that, is that offensive? I don't know. Probably not. It's not more offensive than the goblins. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Hermione's like, Ron was amazing. Harry it says, really it's smart. pretty, it was smart. It was, I mean. Well, plus they destroyed the cup. With yes. one of the things. So there are another Horcrux down in a really, really rapid succession. I thought they destroyed a cup earlier. No, no, no. They still had the cup. Oh. They, they took the cup down there. They got the Basilisk fans. They destroyed fangs. They destroyed the cup. They came back up. And the cup didn't, like, yell at them or anything? Like, spooky? I don't know. They didn't tell us. Only the locket so far has, like, any, like, awesome defense mechanisms. Yeah. No, I think they just, well, the, you know, to be fair, they had to ride a dragon yeah. out from like, right. a boil, you know. like the fucking Cave of Wonder is in the part where it's not wonderful anymore. <laughs> uh, there's only so much uh, JK can squeeze in. So uh, Harry says, I know how to find the Horcrux. They go to the Room of Requirement. It's mostly empty now, except for Ginny, Tonks, and Neville's grandmother is there. Hell yeah. Whose name I've forgotten. Nan. She's Mrs. Gran. Longbottom. Gran. Not Nan. Uh... Harry's like, hey, can you guys, like, let us have the room for a while? Uh, Neville's grandma says, where's my grandson? He's fighting, Harry says, naturally, I must go and join him. And with surprising speed, she takes off. So, battle grandma. <laughs> She's like, we long bottoms have to kick some short asses or something oh, like that. Oh, my goodness. It's not even a joke. No, it's not. <laughs> it's nothing. Um, I liked it. With surprising speed. I mean, to be fair, it would be hilarious to see kind of like an extraordinarily old and strangely dressed woman just book it. I like the idea of her as like, I don't know, she's like the Ruth Bader Ginsburg of the Wizarding World or whatever. She's just like... She's like out here doing push-ups. Yeah. Uh, Tonks is there. They're like, hey, what the fuck? Aren't you supposed to be... With your, like, newborn? With your baby? Uh, I think he's a year old at this point. Okay. Uh, Still... Young. Tonk says she couldn't bear staying behind. Uh, Ginny looks psyched to have to leave the room of requirement, which is where she was supposed to be hanging out. Harry says, okay, but like you have to come back in here and not go die uh, when we're done with the room. Ron says, wait, we've forgotten somebody. What about the house elves? They're in the kitchen, right? Harry's like, do you mean we should get them fighting too? Which... Nobody ever really talks about Harry saying <laughs> about that part. <laughs> well, I think Harry's just mystified because Ron is about to say something like correct and Harry just doesn't expect it. He's <laughs> so like, you don't Ron, think- are you going to suggest that we conscript the house elves? And surprising everyone, Ron is not suggesting that. No, no. Yeah. Ron says, Ron's like, no, we can't order them to die. Uh, he's like, we got to get them all out. No more Dobbies. So hang on. Do they do that or do they make out and then forget? Oh my God. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is where they make out. Nobody actually goes and warns the house elves that we're aware of. Maybe Ginny goes and does it. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe also we may have forgotten. Uh, I hope they follow up on this. They should yeah. have like written it on their hand or something. Save house elves. Hermione hears this, drops all the basilisk fangs, which that seems kind of dangerous actually. Those are sharp. Uh, and then just starts macking on Ron. He macks back. Passionately kiss. Harry's like, guys, is this really the time? There's a war on. This ain't no party. This ain't no disco. This ain't no fooling around. Ron's like, I know, mate. It's now or never. 
an iconic line. And not untrue. Not untrue. Uh, Harry's like, okay, but like, keep it in your pants until we can find the diadem. Oh, please. There's no sex in these books. He does say, could you hold it in until we get the diadem? Okay, but like, they are going to kiss at most. The unsexiness of these books is actually like appalling. But anyway. It's for... At this point, that's it's true. For teens. It's for teens. The situation in the castle is getting worse. Everything is shaking. The Death Eaters are close to breaching the defenses. Outside the window, he sees Grop going into battle. Ginny and Tonks are shooting jinxes out the window. Aberforth is still like running the evacuation. You know, battle stuff. Harry opens the room of requirement. When they go inside, the sound of the battle is like totally extinguished. I like I like that moment. It's like they have a brief quietude before it gets so fucked up. Uh, the, the room of requirement is like, you know, it's the fucking junk room. Uh, I love that Voldemort looked around and he was just like, this must be for ambiance. <laughs> like, dude, there's like a million items in here. You think your item is the one item that's actually from someone? No. <laughs> the trio split up to start looking for the diadem. Harry somehow manages to find it. He sees the diadem, then he hears someone say, Hold it, Potter! It's Crab and Goyle. And between them, Draco Malfoy. Harry's like, these fucking guys. This is such a funny image, though, because it's like Crab and Goyle, and then it's described as Malfoy's little head, like, grinning kind of between their shoulders. Like, I just... Something about him being sort of framed between their sort of massive oh, forms. It's and just also being like... <laughs> three heads. What? Like Cerebrus, the guard dog, I don't or think Fluffy. She, I don't know that that was I don't what know, she man. was going for. Yeah, okay. No, I just think it's really funny that Draco Malfoy is like a pipsqueak. And it's just like, <laughs> so, But about to not be like that at all. Yes. So on this week's episode of Storage Wars. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> the most intense episode ever. Um, I don't know. I think they find, like, a fair number of murdered bodies on that show, and they just don't air those episodes. Man, they wouldn't They wouldn't air this episode then, uh, <laughs> based on what's about to happen. Uh, Draco says, hey, man, that's my wand. Harry said, I want it from you. Where'd you get yours? I can't believe Draco, like, just owns up to this. He's like, my mom lent it to me. <laughs> Which... Mad it's so respect. Harry literally LOLs at. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Even in this like incredibly high stress moment, Harry's like, "That's objectively very funny." This is my mom's. Yeah, it's my mom's wand, <laughs> Draco, a mama's boy to the very end. Harry's like, "Okay, so like, what do you fucks what? Uh, we're gonna be rewarded." Crab says, and he's got this kind of soft voice. We've never really heard Crab speak before, I guess. Um, he says, we we hung back. Actually, he says, we hung back, Pa. Um, She's like, why? <laughs> yeah, Wait, they, why do they talk like this? I don't know. but they, they, Again, it's like some Jasper and Horace bullshit. They it's didn't like, evacuate with the other Slytherins. They decided to do their own trio castle shenanigans one last time. One, one last, last time. classic Crab, Goyle, Draco mess around. <laughs> um, they know how to use disillusionment charms, so they were like undercover. Uh, Crab says, "We heard you talking about a die dumb. What's a die dumb?" And to be fair, I learned what a diadem was from this book. <laughs> so, he, so. Keeps, he keeps calling it a die dumb. 
Uh, Crab hears Ron and Hermione, and he tries to topple a bunch of the junk onto them. Um, shit's getting really exciting. It's been exciting, this whole chapter. Malfoy tries to get Crab to control himself, says, don't bury the diadem. Harry's looking for it. That means the Dark Lord wants it. It's important. Crab's like, fuck the diadem. It's Potter the Dark Lord wants. Malfoy says, the Dark Lord wants Potter. Like, listen to me. This is important context. Um... He's also like, please don't kill him. Yeah. We'll be in so much trouble if you kill him. He says it must mean it's important. Crab says must mean. Who cares what you think? I don't take your orders anymore. You and your dad are finished. So Draco's lost the thread. Uh, Harry lunges for the diadem. Crab tries to cruciate him. The diadem goes flying. Crab sees Hermione and literally tries to kill her. He uses the Avada Kedavra curse. It's shocking to hear one of the younger people use the curse. It actually curse. is really, really startling to hear a child be like, murder! <laughs> um, Malfoy's begging Crab and Goyle not to kill Harry. Harry manages to disarm Goyle. Crab is shooting killing curses just everywhere. Harry's frantically looking for the diadem when he hears a roaring from behind, and Crab says, like it hot, scum? So, scum like, scum it, like hot. it hot. I knew you'd get there. <laughs> I had it written down myself, but you got there first. Thank you. Uh, possible episode title, but I think we've got a better one in the works. Um, huge, fl- suddenly huge flames are chasing them. They're like, they seem to have a mind of their own. They're mutating the shapes of like raptors and other beasts. By raptors? Stop. Jurassic raptors? Park has canonically come out. Do they mean, no, but do they mean birds or dinosaurs? Birds of prey. Okay. I thought so. Because, like, do wizards have dinosaurs? Oh, well, everyone, everyone has dinosaurs. I don't know, but do wizards? What do you mean, do wizards have dinosaurs? They live on the earth. I know, but, okay. With people. True. They're never Fair. discussed in this book. They I don't know if wizards learn about dinosaurs. Do wizards know about dinosaurs? I don't know. There's probably some weird magic like explanation for them. They were like kind of dragons, but not really. I don't. You're gonna have to go to wizardingworld.gov no. to find out. <laughs> to find I think out. It's funny every time you say that. <laughs> to find out what wizards think about dinosaurs. So they aren't velociraptors. They're like raptors, uh, birds of prey, other scary beasts. Uh, fantastic. Are nice. Beasts, They're beautiful. If you will. Um, water can't put it out. Everybody starts running. Draco grabs a stunned Goyle and starts dragging them along. Crab, like, outruns them all and, like, runs off into the Room of Requirements, uh, which was a bad move. Harry and Ron grab a pair of brooms. They're looking around. Everything's on fire and thinking, good thing we have this wood attached to kindling (laughs) that we can escape on. Also, like, fire goes high. Like, I don't understand. Like, they're just above the fire. <laughs> it's not Everybody an knows. airplane. It's not, everyone knows fire just, like, stops about two feet off the ground. Like, this isn't, whatever. This, too, is broken. Yeah, it's all hottest, broken, but it's so You're fun. supposed to crawl out, right? The hottest part of the it's room up. is higher. Also, because the smoke is up there. Right, this is not you're good. You're supposed to stay low to the ground. Firefighters would not approve. No. This is, uh, well, I mean, the room requirement is not up to code. Like, <laughs> At all. It is a serious also, fire hazard. this isn't, like, normal fire, so maybe it 
is only as tall as the animals that I don't know. Yeah. Doesn't totally work for me, but it's a very exciting scene. So Harry and Ron, they, they Ron like pulls Hermione on the broom. They're flying around on their highly combustible vehicles. They're headed for the exit. When Harry hears a scream, Ron says it's too dangerous to go back. Harry, of course, totally fucking ignores Ron, swoops down. They find Malfoy and Goyle and pull them onto their brooms. Harry then sees the diadem, which has kind of been, like, thrown up into the air by all the, like, crackling and combustion and fire stuff. He does it. He swoops down, grabs it. Good thing he's a seeker. Good thing he's a seeker. We yeah. do need one more scene where Harry Potter does something spectacular on a broom. <laughs> like, just for fun. Squeeze it in, yeah. So, you know, um, that extracurricular really paid off for him. He's a well... <laughs> like, thank God you played soccer, bud, because it turns out <laughs> soccer, like, keeps saving your life. That's There's so many scenes where he specifically needs the skill, but it'd be hilarious if it were, like, another, like, sport. Like, if it <laughs> was soccer... He to if shoot to... basketballs to, like, get the... Fi- I don't know. If he had to, like, kick... The diadem through like, I, yeah, no, into this a specific falls apart. area. This still, I don't. <laughs> I, it's been so long since we've been sort of in the habit of doing this that I was like, oh yeah, Quidditch when this happened. <laughs> I was like, that's right, that's a whole thing in this. Remember Quidditch? <laughs> um, they 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 soar through the exit. This is like another like cave of wonders like moment. This really reminds me of that scene. Yeah, Disney's Aladdin. I don't know if this influ presumably J.K. Rowling saw it. But... I don't know it, but it's like it really reminds me of when the and when the sand is sort of becoming molten and it's like pouring behind them. Well, I think and... there is lava in it. Well, yeah, molten sand. Right. Would probably be lava esque. Well, it's any. molten rock. <laughs> molten sand is glass, actually, so never mind. Go on. We're not going to fact check this. I only know that because I recently rewatched the first half of Sweet Home Alabama and realized that I hate it. But glass is very important in it. The way glass is made is very important in that terrible rom-com. Wait, it's how? You don't have I to explain I cannot this. get into this. In Sweet Home Alabama, uh... Reese Witherspoon charms America. Um, where yeah, were but we? It's also, just like full, like lost cause propaganda. Ron, where, <laughs> where were we? They Harry and Ron, they're escaping. They escaped, escaped the room they requirement. Get the it's they like got a snitch. Harry got the diadem. Uh, they like shoot out of the door. They crash into a wall. Draco's like retching and spluttering, and he says, "Crab is baked," says Ron. No, he doesn't. Crab bake. Is that a thing? Crab boil. Clam bake. No, you have. A, you can have a crab boil. No, you have crab a bake? clam bake. A clam bake is the party you're thinking of. A clam bake. There's not. There's not such a thing as a crab bake. <laughs> I mean, you can probably bake crab. Crab boil. Crab cake. He's not a crab cake. <laughs> There's a joke. There's a there's a seafood joke but we here. We can't find it. There's a we seafood joke here, and it. I will discover it. Um, damn. Clam bake. It's really not a crab bake. No, it's a clam bake. <laughs> <laughs> damn it. No, it's a clam bake. You can tell that I'm not from. Speaking of Sweet Home Alabama, <laughs> you can tell the clam bake is like a northeastern thing. Oh God, I don't. I'm from the desert. I'm from Phoenix, There's Arizona. No we don't have cr- clams. We don't have crabs. 
Uh, We just have spiders. We have. And lizards. Scorpions and tacos and things like that. Uh, Well, son of a bitch. Okay. That's the last time I try to make a seafood-related pun (laughs) based around Crab's name. And it's our last opportunity because Crab is, in fact... Super dead. Dead. Crab is extremely Pretty upsetting. Crab, Crab died. Is extremely dead. Crab died in a really bad way. Yeah. Uh, this is a very violent death. I just want to underscore. This is a child dying an extremely violent death. He's he's seventeen. That's a kid. Yeah, that's true. It is weird how they're like, okay, seventeen-year-olds, like, good luck. You I mean, can whatever. You can be in the army when you're eighteen. Yeah, that's true. Like we out here. Okay. Back to Harry Potter. They see the diadem. Blood is leaking from it. Harry hears a faint scream coming from the diadem. Hermione says it must have been fiend fire back there because Harry couldn't recognize the curse. This is so convenient. Fiend fire is one of the few things that can destroy a horcrux, but Hermione never dared think she could summon it because, you know, bad shit happens when you summon fiend fire. You'd lose control of it. Although, like, you think... If you did have fire that could destroy horcruxes, just gather up all the horcruxes, start a fiend fire in like an enclosed... Like a controlled burn? Burn space. A room of requirements type space, if you will. And then, you know, let it go. But anyway. Nobody's ever going to find their lost stuff again. Yeah. This is like the ultimate decluttering of Hogwarts. (laughs) Marie Kondo. It's like, let it burn. I love mess. Uh... <laughs> it's just a fiery Marie Kondo, just like setting fire to things. Uh, so, but the good news is, one more Horcrux to go. All or we so gotta do think. is find the snake. Fucking fiend fire. Ron's like, will the room of requirement work again? Which, good question. Yeah. Or is that just gonna like rage in there forever? Ooh. I need the room that's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, what happens to all I that? I don't understand the metaphysics of this. Does this room exist or not exist? Like, is this fire? It's whoa. I can't get into it. But like, what's like, happening? Yeah, is the in room there? where things like if you're like, man, I gotta hire, if I gotta hide something, and you go in there and you're like, oh, oh shit, shit, oh shit, oh shit, <laughs> everything's on fire still. Uh, or it's just an this empty, smoldering room. Summary. And we haven't gotten to the most important part. Yes. Uh, we can just rush through that. Uh. At that moment, like, dueling breaks into the corridor. Percy Weasley is dueling the Minister of Magic. Ugh, this is so satisfying. It's about to get so sad, but this is so satisfying. Okay. Also, like, isn't the deal that Thickness is, like, imperialist? I for- I think he ends up being just bad, but I don't know. I thought he was imperialist. Like, this- That's really a bummer. It sucks that the min. I mean, I get it sucks for this guy. It doesn't like suck generally that the Minister of Magic is like so expendable to the Death Eaters. Like, who sends the Minister of Magic to like go be? Yeah, just the, like, a random prime minister like is just like on the front lines. Like, like that doesn't work. <laughs> this is uh, this is leading from the front. This is. Uh... Oh God. Percy's like, hello, minister. Well, he's dueling him. Did I mention I'm resigning? So Percy also joining the great resignation. He jinxes Thickness, who starts, like, kind of turning into an urchin. Or, like, he starts, like, sprouting, like, little needles. Oh, like a sea urchin. Like a sea urchin. I thought you meant, like, please. No, who turns <laughs> into Gavroche. Howdy, <laughs> <laughs> you do. My name's Thickness. Uh, no, a, a sea urchin. Yeah, he Not gets a, spiny. 
Fred's like, you're joking, Percy. You're actually joking. I haven't heard you joke since. And then, kabloom. Oh, no, oh, no. There's oh, a no. massive explosion. Harry's thrown off his feet. When he kind of, like, shakes off the shock, he realizes he's bleeding heavily and that the side of the castle has been blown open. He looks over and sees three red-headed men standing around a body, someone shouting, No, Fred! No! Oh, God. Percy's shaking his brother. Ron's right there. And, quote, Fred's eyes stared without seeing the ghost of his last laugh still etched upon his face. Unquote. Fred. My blood just ran cold. It's so awful. He dead. Fred is dead. And that's what happens. Poor Fred is dead. In this week's chapter. Ooh. Man, I I think that ended up being like close to Jim Dale's like actual narration of the book. I don't know if it makes sense to do this blow by blow, but you know, sometimes we catch stuff. Also, it's A- funny. Apparently people enjoy it. This was a pretty long chapter. And this a lot is a of, very long chapter for Harry Potter, and a lot happens. A lot of key details. Also, I mean, we need at least 20 minutes for you to make puns. That's true. Or try unsuccessfully Or try really to make hard puns. to remember what a clam bake is called. Oh, a crab uh, bake. Hashtag no. crab bake. <laughs> I was like, that's going to be so funny. People are going to laugh, but wow. I no. think they are going to laugh, but... At the sort of the the dialogue. At me, not with me. Yeah. That backfired like me using an elder wand against somebody that is its true master. Oh god. Uh maybe that that's a bad metaphor too, so fuck me. Let's continue. So damn, let's go on. Let's move on. I've humiliated myself enough this episode. I enjoyed it. Not I enjoyed you humiliating yourself. I, I thought the whole thing was very funny. <laughs> I clearly laughed a great deal. So here's the thing. Obviously, our relationship with these books, as longtime listeners will know, has changed, I think, immensely over the last five years. And they're so fucking good. This is so good. So much of it is completely broken. The world building is, like, both delightful and nonsense. Nonsense. You can't fly a broom over fire. The basilisk teeth would not be this easy to just pull out. Like, none of this is real. And good lord, was this fun. So fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm having the weird experience of actually reading Twilight Midnight Sun (laughs) in conjunction with these chapters. And oh my gosh, the pacing is just on another level. Uh, The pacing... The, this whole, like, action set piece, the rising action in the last chapter was just, like, it's pitch perfect. Yeah, no, she can she can write a sequence like nobody's business. This, yeah. is, this is genuinely exciting. It's very funny. Actually, that's what I love because I was really dreading reading this chapter because it's been a long time since I've read this book. And the only thing I remembered about the chapter called The Battle of Hogwarts is that Fred dies at the end. And I was like, I just don't know if I'm, like, emotionally suited to the, like, heaviness that's coming. And then I started reading and I was like, this is so fun. This is funny and, like, just cracking. They passed portrait after portrait and the painted figures raced alongside them. Wizards and witches in ruffs and breeches, in armor and cloaks, cramming themselves into each other's canvases screaming news from other parts of the castle. As they reached the end of this corridor, the whole castle shook 
and Harry knew, as a gigantic vase blew off its plinth with explosive force, that it was in the grip of enchantments more sinister than those of the teachers and the order. It's all right, Fang, it's all right, yelled Hagrid, but the great boarhound had taken flight as slivers of china flew like shrapnel through the air, and Hagrid pounded off after the terrified dog, leaving Harry alone. He forged on through the trembling passages, his wand at the ready, and for the length of one corridor, the little painted knight, Sir Cadogan, rushed from painting to painting beside him, clanking along in his armor, screaming encouragement, his fat little pony cantering behind him. Braggots and rogues, dogs and scoundrels, drive them out, Harry Potter, see them off. I really like that she leans into the humor and chaos of Hogwarts with there's the kind of, like, depressed statues who were yeah the gargoyles (laughs) that are feeling sorry for themselves that they got knocked down there's sir cadogan like shouting ridiculous things uh and harry kind of cheering him on and it honestly it's sort of a fitting chapter for fred to die in because he leaves on a comic note yeah no he dies he dies laughing at a joke which is so sad. I mean, it's so sad. We're gonna we'll we'll get to the ways in which this death is particularly sad. But yeah, even I mean, Harry is funny in the confrontation with Malfoy. Right. Yeah. It's just you get to these chapters that are really dark, and she writes about death and pain and sort of existential howling grief, also very effectively, but. She's funny. These are just, these yeah. are fun books. Oh. And I feel a little bit like we, I mean, fuck. We just lost fun over the last two years. Everybody just lost access to fun. So I think I had a little bit forgotten how much I enjoy Harry Potter. And this, what a nice moment to come home to that. A lot of the things that make the Harry Potter books really delightful are showcased in this chapter. Absolutely. In a really a really satisfying way. She's a great what's the metaphor I'm looking at? I'm looking for here. She's really good at tying things up in a like putting a bow on things, but like, you know, some of the strings go like various like random directions, but it looks really like satisfying. Uh, well, maybe that's a t- that's a terrible metaphor. It's a little but bit tangled it's tangled to metaphor. follow the metaphor. Here's the thing that's also very fun about this. It's a little bit like a sweeps week episode in that <laughs> there's all these really funny cameos. Like you're sort of just running through the castle with Harry like, hey, remember Sir Cadogan? <laughs> and Mrs. Norris is like meowing crazily at owls. It's just like this zany. It's zany. Yes. Somehow this incredibly upsetting chapter also manages to be kind of madcap. Yeah, and it has this giddy, giddy energy. The well, there's even this line where Harry is running through the castle, having figured out what the Horcrux is and where it is. And he says something about being both as scared as he ever, he's ever been and sort of, I don't remember the exact words she used, but it's like buoyant. And you feel that with Harry, our emotions really sort of mirror what he's experiencing because yeah it's delightful to be running down that plus I'm just I'm so happy to be back at Hogwarts I love Hogwarts the hardest thing about this book is how long you have to spend away from these weird fucking hallways it's so weird in there (laughs) it's an explosion 
of just pure Harry Potterness. It is even in the even some of the like conflicts that get resolved in this chapter, which we'll get to in in a minute. But some yeah. of the like foundational tensions in the book have their sort of their they're like denouement here. Exactly. Is that the word? I think so. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And you know, not to not to belabor this point, but I too am slogging i'm i have actually finished midnight sun but sometimes to be an extremely good spouse i will listen to the audiobook with alex just to keep you company really (laughs) and maybe this is a silly thing to notice but the difference between bad writing and good writing is significant (laughs) and the idea that all books are i don't think any whatever this is a total straw man argument obviously nobody thinks all books are created equal but the idea that there's any comparing the Harry Potter books to like their sort of like lesser YA and middle grade counterparts is just, it, it's unjust, <laughs> in fact. There are books that are as good as Harry Potter, obviously. But a lot of the things that sort of get put on the shelf with it because it sort of spawned a resurgence of this entire genre, which by the way is remarkable. Like, Harry Potter brought back middle grade fiction. I actually have a friend who worked in, I think at Scholastic when these came out. And it's just like, nobody was buying books for this age group. And then Harry Potter came out. Like, not no consumers, but no publishers were, like, doing this. Anyway, there's a reason that Harry Potter brought back an entire generation of authors and readers and the marketability of fantasy and the marketability of fantasy and i mean she gave us a lot we're just gonna have to admit that a huge amount and, and what a pleasure this chapter was i don't have to belabor this we see grop again um the zachariah smith cameo is hilarious that fucking guy that fucking guy anyway i just i really enjoyed it and you know who else we see again that I think is the next thing we want to talk about. Every time nearly headless Nick enters the scene, you're like, this is going to be fucking weird. Every time we talk about ghosts, it's like, oh no. The ghosts are, I think, a truly underrated aspect of these books. barely in the movies. And I think they've spawned some of our more interesting conversations. If I think way back to like the death day party and... That and the portraits. Between the ghosts and the portraits, thinking about sort of the existence of these sort of non-human counterparts is very... Or Harry's, like, discuss- yeah, yeah. Or, like, Harry's discussion with, with Nick Luna. about Sirius. Oh, with Sirius. Yeah, or, like, Harry's discussion with Nick about whether he can see Sirius again. She thinks a lot about ghostliness and the imprint we leave behind yeah. after we die. In photos, too, are really important. So we have all these different... Like ways. manifestations of our lost. I mean, soon we're going to be in King's Cross, and we're going to do maybe the most interesting version of this at all, of all. But yeah, no the 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 presence of the dead and the the presence of sort of a lineage in these books is very important and done in a lot of really interesting ways. And the thing I like about this, the ghosts are comic relief a lot of the time. But also, as you're interacting with them, what a terrible afterlife. She sent a man who had long loved me, though I spurned his advances, to find me. She knew that he would not rest until he had done so. 
Harry waited. She drew a deep breath and threw back her head. He tracked me to the forests where I was hiding. When I refused to return with him, he became violent. The Baron was always a hot-tempered man, furious at my refusal, jealous of my freedom. He stabbed me. The Baron? You mean the bloody Baron, yes, said the Grey Lady, and she lifted aside the cloak she wore to reveal a single dark wound in her white chest. When he saw what he had done, he was overcome with remorse. He took the weapon that had claimed my life and used it to kill himself. All these centuries later, he wears his chains as an act of penitence. As he should, she added bitterly. I mean, you can understand this as a really specific kind of damnation. Right. Well, that's like one of her whole messages. Uh, one of her whole obsessions is that there are worse things than and dying death. and going away. Right. And uh, for, for Nick, who's like so hung up on the slights of his past and like, the kind of unjustness of his existence. It's so, there's a funny, it's a hilarious line. It's almost a throwaway where Harry wants to know where the gray lady is. And Nick's like, what the fuck? Like, I thought I'm your ghost. Like, he's so, that like illustrates why he can't move on. He's like so petty to is. the end. Not like, you know, he's a bad like friend way. Like, he's actually like a really good, like, I don't know if he's Harry's friend, but... He's, like, done Harry a lot of solids, but he, like, just can't, I don't know, he just can't let go of right, shit. Right, no, and his, the fact that he's sort of, the fact that he's pretty literally damned for his inability to let go of small grievances feels just really, I don't know, useful to me in some way. I think it tells us, what's interesting, I don't want to go too far down this road, but I think in some ways... That is J.K. Rowling writing a little bit about one of her own fatal flaws, which mm. is just like a thin-skinnedness that nearly headless Nick sort of manifests. And yeah, I mean, we don't have to spend a ton of time here, but the fact that she is self-aware enough to know that this is kind of a genuine fatal flaw is, um, is at very least interesting to me. Yeah, because nearly headless Nick, he's not tormented by, I mean, you know, I think we can... When we talk about Helena in a minute, we'll talk about somebody who's haunted by something, you know, f by, by a real trauma. But even her, I feel like the, the small cuts are what keep you around. The inability to just like let go of all of the small indignities of your life are what make you a ghost. And I think lots of people who experience great trauma don't become ghosts in Harry Potter because the people who are still really obsessed with like writing I think like I think Helena Ravenclaw is a ghost because she stole the diadem and not because she got brutally murdered. Right. Like her obsession is still clearly the shame and humiliation of having like taken her mother's possession and rather being, than the, the the murder. Right. And of being the like I don't know, daughter of a of somebody greater than her, right. of being of being constantly overshadowed by a truly great parent. So I think the the ghosts are just this interesting manifestation of something that I actually sort of hope for J.K. Rowling herself, which is a little bit like, get over yourself, girl. Like, move <laughs> on. Live yeah. your life. I think, I feel like, yeah, Nick talks with Harry about this in book five, where he basically says, he doesn't say it 
quite like this, but he's like, I just wasn't able to embrace oblivion, essentially, or the mystery, whatever's like next. Yeah, he's too frightened. I couldn't. And I just, I was too, yeah, attached to this, to this world. And yeah, as a result, the ghosts, they don't, it's like not hell, but it's this kind of hell is other ghosts hell because <laughs> it's like existentialist ghost hell right well you know they're they're in these like strange kind of like administrative jobs where they're like sort of mascots but they're also not and clearly clearly everybody also kind of ignores these ghosts yeah, in a strange damned way damned to an eternity of having their expertise go unacknowledged like the hogwarts students are literally looking through them and kind of seeing them as yeah mascots or this window dressing when the ghosts actually possess deep knowledge of hogwarts because like let's be frank here does not take harry very long to get to the bottom of what's considered one of the deepest mysteries in the whole school he literally takes like five minutes to empathetically listen to helena ravenclaw which also is what voldemort did and then he gets it uh, and then he learns something and the same with you know he learns like critical information from nearly headless nick at other points so yeah everyone ignores the ghosts in this i don't know in this interesting way well it sort of gets at something extremely true and something that jk rowling is able to write about with this sort of perfect combination of empathy and like enough psychic distance to like get it is the sort of the callow uncuriousness and disinterest of youth. They're not asking questions of their elders. And the whole point, the thing that's fucked up about being young is that you think that you don't need the wisdom of the people that came before you. And the second you realize you need that wisdom, it's often too late. I mean, that is. That's not a universal experience of youth, but it is a very common one. You know, when you're like, I just, like, my great-grandmother was still alive when I was younger. And I loved her, but I saw my relationship with her as primarily one of duty. And I just, it's very common to wish that you as a 15 year old had spent more time like asking your fucking grandparents questions you know so it's impossible to see through those sort of young lenses to the ways in which the ghosts might be useful or interesting and the thing about harry is he's experienced just enough sort of sobering and 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 maturing loss that he's one of the few characters that actually regularly kind of utilizes the wisdom of these ghosts, which is a beautiful thing about him. But in this case, the ghosts, you know, they don't pass on like a grandparent. They're around forever, and everyone still just kind of ignores them. Nobody at Hogwarts is ever thinking about history. Well, or youth aren't. The kids I mean, aren't. Because kids kind of live in this, like, permanent they presence. Do, but, and it's so funny because so often... Hermione is like, I read one book and it's why I can do anything. <laughs> no, and Ron and, Her- Ron and Harry know this and they never bother to read Hogwarts A History for themselves. They've watched Hermione solve a hundred problems because she literally read a chapter of a book and they never read the book, which I don't actually fault them for because it's very, very normal. 
<laughs> no, I think a disinterest in the past is kind of a hallmark of youth and and sort of an important one because you want young people to be future oriented. But also I think that the the sort of poignancy of the loss that you feel when you realize you didn't take advantage of like, you know, the wisdom available to you is something I experienced, certainly. Yeah. And what's funny is that Voldemort, Tom Riddle, is really good at exploiting lonely elderly people slash ghosts. He doesn't gain wisdom from them, but he he has this sort of emotional acuity. It's not emotional intelligence, but it's this like it's this sort of lizard sense of vulnerability it's like and the it's bad kind of, I think it is emotional intelligence, but it's like the bad kind, kind of, of emotional. Yeah. yeah. It's negative empathy or I, there might even be a word for it. It's the ability to like zero it. I mean, he's like a heat-seeking missile for vulnerable people and how he can like make them work for him. Like the fact that he's the only one that ever asked Helena where the diadem was, I think it's significant. No, everybody's, it always, us, everybody's always asking her where the diadem is. He's the only one to get it out of he's her. He's just never like, what happened to you? Yeah. He's the only one that's like, what's your deal? Because he can tell that she needs to tell someone. And he doesn't want to hear it because he wants to be good to her. But it is another way in which Voldemort sort of, well, Tom Riddle and Harry are like twinned in this interesting way. They sometimes have the same instincts, but for opposite reasons. And it's sort of why Harry manages to defeat Voldemort ultimately, I think. Because it's like he can, well, and the room of requirement is the same thing. He can sort of follow Voldemort, he can sort of follow Voldemort's instincts, even though they have different sort of emotional reasons for those instincts, which I like. It works really well. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. Okay. But let's talk a little about. <laughs> Helena and the Bloody Baron. Helena and the Bloody Baron. Uh, How fucked up that Helena has to work with her assailant for, like, all of eternity. She's colleagues with her murderer. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of darkly implied that... He assaulted her Yeah, it was an assault. Like, he was, you know, he was definitely her stalker. That's explicitly named. And she just has to, like... Like I, they have like meetings and stuff. We're meant to understand, you know. They yeah, like there are like ghost convenience. They like organize like the Halloween parties or whatever. Uh, it's another way that just ghostdom is this weird it's hell. Just constant but, administration. Yeah. Um, it is a very existentialist or like <laughs> absurdist play about hell. Oh, Rowena wait, Ravenclaw sounds terrible though, because she's like, okay, my daughter bounced. You know who could find her is her stalker. And that will <laughs> definitely be well received. That will super convince her to come back home. Uh holy shit. Yeah. No one's come no one comes off well uh it's, in this story. Except for is, the hollow tree, which is a really good place to hide someone. Something. I mean, I don't know that Helena comes across. It's interesting because J.K. Rowling clearly intends Helena also to seem morally ambiguous, and perhaps she's morally ambiguous, but the idea that they all did the equal amount of a bad thing is bananas. Yeah. (laughs) One person stole a diadem, the other person stabbed someone to death after stalking them for years. And the third person basically, you know, semi-inadvertently, but potentially knowing the potential consequences, 
like ordered her daughter's murder. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's not great. And then there's this whole, the bloody Baron is sort of redeemed because he like feels bad about it. Yeah, it's very, mm, it's this Slytherin arc she's obsessed with where these pretty bad Slytherins get redemption through, yeah, just extreme acts of penitence. In so, their 11th hour, so, at the very end of their lives. So Regulus Black steals the locket and is like dragged to his death by the zombie army, Snape. The Inferi, is that The Inferi, yeah. Snape. We're about to find we out. We know the deal. And now... The now Bloody the, Baron. Now the Bloody Baron. So, I just... But you know what I don't actually find redeemable is murder-suicide. Like, that's what this is. This is just a domestic violence murder-suicide. Like, this is not ennobling. This is just fucking awful. This is just an awful thing. Well, I mean, I guess there should be, like, some kind of... He does do... I don't know. This is, like... I think she gives him too much credit. Or maybe we're not even... Are we meant to think the Bloody Baron is, like... I mean, he is Slytherin's ghost. Redeemed? He's Slytherin's ghost. So they're bad, I guess, and he's bad. But it's very... I mean, he's clearly a ghost because he can't get past the need to repent for this deed. But you know what have been what would have been very chill is just like taking three breaths and just not killing her. Yeah, who is this guy? I don't know. And then being like, oh shit, when you stab a knife into someone they die, better do that to myself. It's just what it's like very how old is the Bloody Baron? That's the thing that's confusing to I mean, not in ghost years, but in, in people years, I don't think that these are extremely young people when this happens. There's not even like a Romeo and Juliet deal where you're like, okay, well they're fifteen. Oh, so I I have no idea. I think he's like a grown ass man. I, I don't and now he's just bloody. Yeah. I don't know if I have like a grander like, just, in, like insight. Dark. Just that this is very No, just that this is very Slytherin. This is the arc she sets up for the quote unquote good Slytherins. for the good Slytherins or just Slytherins uh, in general. And it's yeah. like, I don't know, it's sad to me that this is the only path available for to like to characters like this. Right. So it'd be great to find redemption through sort of like slow and meaningful ap- acts of like repentance and restitution. Yeah, there's not a lot of restorative justice no, in Harry true. Potter. So. It's not like, something she seems to really believe in. Even in death, the Bloody Baron isn't like, you know what, Helena Ravenclaw, I'm... I, I, he does a thing that only helps himself, no. his own guilt. He wears these chains, uh, which I guess are the chains he forged in life. Yeah, um, it's very Jacob Marley. Yeah, it's like, dude, you just ripped that aesthetic off of Dickens. You Although know I guess what's very confusing to me is that there aren't two Marleys in Dickens. That's just Statler and Waldorf. It's just the Muppets. Is it just Jacob Marley? It's not Jacob and Robert Marley. It's he's got one of the names and I don't I remember. Think it's Jacob Marley. Which one it is? It's Statler. Uh who knows? Anyway. Uh, Whoa we're Marley and Marley. Oh, it's almost time to watch that. It is. After spooky season comes Muppet season. The great thing about a Christmas Carol though is it's a spooky season it's Christmas kind of story. A crossover. Yeah. It's That's doubling very up. Good. It's the original nightmare before Christmas. So, I mean, it's four nightmares before Christmas. Yeah, that's true. A thing happens, other than Fred Weasley dying, 
that um, I think is fairly significant in the course of these books, what would that be? Ron and Hermione. Yeah, they finally, uh, they finally it, make it happen. It happens. The will they, won't they. Resolves. Becomes they and will. And like all will they, won't they's, you're like, ugh, this isn't as satisfying as I had hoped. But it doesn't have to drag on for like four more seasons. Ugh, that's true. They don't We're have to find really new. just really relieved that we, can't, we don't have to keep finding new reasons for them like not quite to be together. We don't have to have like wedding anxiety. Will he propose now? Never works as well as the uh, the before in the will they won't they. So in case you can't tell, we just watched a new girl, which is why a lot of our will they won't they are just like Jess and Nick will they won't they. Kind of enjoyed it, I would say. Sitcom wise, it's not the worst one. Ron... Not entirely dissimilar from Nick Miller. Mm, Nick's kinda, better. Kind of schlubby. No, I like Nick better. Uh, Hermione's not. Oh, maybe I don't know. No, she's just, not. Just Day and Hermione Granger. No, zero no, percent. No Venn diagram there. I mean, teaching, I guess. If kind she doesn't of, become a teacher. She becomes a president. Kind of hand raisers. Yeah, that's you know? fair. Yeah, loud answer, girl. Yeah. It's weird that this is sort of wrapped up really quickly and even harry has this sort of meta moment for the reader of being like we gotta do this now though yeah <laughs> like okay uh really right now we all saw this coming but that's kind of i like that moment it's, I think it's uh, funny yeah it's sweet and clever um it is it does add to the to the euphoria of this chapter you're on such an emotional roller coaster because like it's one of the best things that's ever happened in ron's life followed by one of the absolute worst. Yeah. Probably the probably worst thing the worst that happens. Probably the worst thing that's ever happened to Ron. Yeah. His dad almost dies, but then he gets better. Right, yeah. St. Mungo's. Um, St. Mungo's. I forgot Remember St. Mungo's? Yeah, yeah, they've got one hospital. Maybe that's why so many of them die. Also, there's no health care on site. You know what there aren't in the Battle of Hogwarts is medics. Doesn't Madame Pomfrey evacuate all the students? And it's like, yo, it's like, you need you her to come need back. To come yeah. back. <laughs> I'm sure There's she does. There's going to be a lot of injuries. I'm sure she comes back. Um, Ron does two things right consecutively. And that's what does it for Hermione. Like, Hermione's, I hate to use this word, but like her panties drop. And then he does a third thing right, which is he actually manages to kiss her back and not be all like, oh, I'm Ron. I'm nonsense and can't do can't do the things i like that's true he does own his feelings in this moment so you know we get some it took him long enough some resolution yeah there's a lot of horcrux procrastination and a lot a lot of ron personal growth procrastination getting like wrapped up it's uh, true really quickly yeah really (laughs) a lot of plot here which is why the summary was an hour long this might be the first time ron has done three things Correct consecutively. Yeah, which is what yeah. Hermione was waiting. Which is what Hermione was waiting for all this time. She was like, "Okay, usually you get one thing right, and then you super fuck up." So let's watch. <laughs> let's watch and see. The two things, just to be clear, are the basilisk fang is a very good idea. Very good idea. It doesn't end up being necessary, but it would work. No, I thought they destroyed the well, cup. They discor- no, yeah. it is necessary. They do destroy the cup off page, and then freeing the households, which, like, to be fair, we're not sure they do. But, you know, intention. Oh, I, we're going to find out. There's going to be this house elf scene oh, yeah, a little that's later right. on. I forgot. Which I, I don't remember exactly what happened. But there's but, something. Uh, our boy Creature is involved. Oh, God, that's right. Oh, welcome back, Creature. Hell yes, Creature. Um, Oh, my God. And then, speaking of sort of like arc resolutions, we get like trio versus trio. 
Yeah, it does feel like the inevitable conflict of the three, the yeah, the two, it does feel like the resolution of this inevitable conflict, the three have always been sneaking around and doing like hijinks around the castle. Like it's this. Well, even to the it's very this shadow I mean, trio. There's so much from the first book here. There is the the sort of the. I mean, the first conflict that brings Harry, Ron, and Hermione together is Draco Malfoy like baiting Harry out of bed to duel in the middle of the night. Right. Right. Like that's the first. Their first mess around is a Draco Crab and Goyle special. No, I thought the, their first mess around is when is the. Tr- troll. No, the the getting out of bed is before the troll. Oh, is it? Yeah, students out of bed is it's like one of the first things that happens because Draco like challenges Harry right after the remember all scene and Hermione like comes with them by accident and they find Fluffy. Yeah, you're right. There's also some symmetry here with that remember all scene where of course Harry's on a broom, he's got to get something. From Malfoy. From Malfoy. No, it is, I mean, the visuals are matched in a really satisfying way. And instead of Draco versus Harry, it's Draco and Harry. And Draco's like on the back of the broom or whatever. Right, yeah. Harry's like totally in control now. It's like the final defeat of Malfoy. I mean, Harry does the very obvious Harry Potter thing, but I think it's important to touch on for a minute, which is that he saves them. And, I mean, he ends up gaining strength from that fact. I mean, he gets sort of leverage in this in the key scene coming up over Narcissa Malfoy, but he doesn't know that. He just makes what I think is a really noble choice. And there is this interesting line where he's sort of watching the fire churn and he's like this is a terrible way to die and I don't want anyone to die this way he sort of it's kind of an interesting Harry Potter moment because often I think he can't explain why he makes these very specific noble Harry Potter choices but you can watch him sort of maturing into his kind of actual ethos when he decides very consciously nobody should die this way and if I can help it they won't and he can't save Crab, but he risks an enormous amount, his life and the diadem and all of the above, to uh, to save Draco Malfoy. And I think, you know, we see that become important, honestly, throughout the rest of his life, if we're going to admit Cursed Child into the canon. <laughs> this happens right after the trio of Harry, Ron, and Hermione find this equilibrium, and then the trio of Draco, Crab, and Goyle completely falls apart. Disintegrates, yeah. Yeah. No! shouted Malfoy, staying Crab's arm as the latter made to repeat his spell. If you wreck the room, you might bury this diadem thing. What's that matter? said Crab, tugging himself free. It's Potter the Dark Lord wants. Who cares about a diadem? Potter came in here to get it said Malfoy with ill-disguised impatience at the slow-wittedness of his colleagues. So that must mean... Must mean... Crab turned on Malfoy with undisguised ferocity. Who cares what you think? I don't take your orders no more, Draco. You and your dad are finished. Harry! 
shouted Ron again from the other side of the junk wall. What's going on? Harry, mimicked Crab. What's going now? Potter, Crucio. You see what I think is also an inevitable and kind of satisfying uprising against Draco. It's sort of emblematic of the way in which the sort of class that the Malfoys belong to. I mean, whatever, if we're going to stretch the meaning here, it's kind of about populism, right? Right. Crab and Goyle are the fiend fire, basically, and Draco can't control them at this yeah. point. No, and the masses the- that they have whipped into a sort of, I mean, first of all, this is kind of a classist, like, positioning of Crab and Goyle to begin with, but we even... Yeah, we get these dropped H's. Like, she gives us these extremely literal signposts of their class difference right before this all happens. Like, the dialogue is, like, thickly dialect-sized. Yeah. You know? More so than most of their dialogue. And she does it very intentionally because it's one of the few times we hear them talk. And they're die-dum. Like, she does, she writes die-dum out, D-I-E-D-U-M out phonetically, she writes phonetically that they're dropping their H's. Like, she's signaling their class difference pretty aggressively right before this all happens. So I do think it's something that she means for us to understand kind of more than usual. And I don't... It's one of those moments, again, where I'm like, I don't know if J.K. Rowling is saying that, like, lower class people deserve to be dominated by... The sort of like effet elite. The like, yeah, the patrician set. Yeah, it's like a complicated J.K. Rowling, what are you trying to say moment. But I I think the the crab and Goyle uh, Goyle are the fiend fire idea is an interesting one. Because yeah, people like the Malfoys have completely lost control of this group that they have sort of whipped into a frenzy and then can't make that frenzy work for them. It's like inevitably Crabbe and Goyle are going to turn against Malfoy because that that populism is is going to turn anti-elite. Right. Like, you have no way of stopping that from happening. <laughs> so authoritarian populism, I think it burns hot, but, like, I don't think it burns forever. Right. To yeah. sort of extend the fire yeah, metaphor. Yeah. And you can't control it. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised this... Uh... This reckoning didn't happen earlier, although it's a great moment in the books for uh, for it to happen. Um, <laughs> it's sad that Crab and Goyle have finally found uh, subjects they excel at. Um, the dark arts. Were they, I mean... Were they ever dumb or were they just not, did they just not have posh accents? Fiendfire seems like a difficult curse. It I seems guess that's very what's difficult. interesting. Yeah. Crab casts, which seems like a Hermione level curse. So you're like, were these guys ever stupid or do they just talk differently? Yeah. And also (laughs) the way she uses accents to just one to one signal intelligence is rough. Like not being, not being able to pronounce the word diadem has actually zero to do with your abilities. I think she's also, she's also getting at something about, I don't, were Crab and Goyle always destined to like end up this way? Like we don't think that slip like kids are like doomed to be like bad adults, but like at some point 
if there's no interventions, you know, if you never learn something different, like you do, like it has consequences. Like, yeah. you know, there's like a difference between being doomed and right, being the, given zero opportunities for learning another way. Right. Like the, the actions we make, we shouldn't be like held totally accountable for like things we do as kids. But like, if there's no, I mean, it matters that Crab and Goyle are like childhood bullies. Like it doesn't. Yeah. change they don't grow out of it it just gets it just it gets, gets like malignant yeah but you sort of i mean i think a thing that i i'm starting to come around to draco malfoy as an interesting morally ambiguous outcome as opposed to just being annoyed at his sort of redemption because Again, admitting Cursed Child as a kind of canon, Draco doesn't suddenly become, like he doesn't have an Ebenezer Scrooge where he completely turns everything around. He stays cold and rude and kind of challenging. But this is a moment of intervention in a way. I mean, Draco's life changes here. Right. He becomes someone who is an uneasy ally of Harry Potter as opposed to a sworn enemy and that happens as he comes into adulthood because a very extreme thing happens to him and what I wonder is what the fuck happens to Goyle who does he become (laughs) I think Goyle might go to Azkaban but I don't actually know or I mean die at St. Mungo's of these injuries yeah (laughs) I I, I truly I don't remember but what if anything happens to Goyle and a thing that I love about Harry is he doesn't think Crab deserves to die that way. He's like, dude, fuck this guy. But I think he feels grief of a kind that he could not save all three of them. Right. And I think that says a huge amount about his sort of essential goodness. I like having a good guy character who's, I mean, kind of, he's a swaggering jock in a lot of ways. But he's not someone that believes that casualties are an acceptable necessity. He wants to prevent all casualties to the extent that he possibly can. And that's not true of, like, Dumbledore. Yeah, or, like, I don't know, Iron Man or any of these oh other, Oh my god, like, of these you know. fucking superheroes who I just I can't even get into. Harry but... Potter's not out here, like, blowing up half New York no, and being like, at like... least we got Loki. Yeah, he's not like, I'm gonna set a skyscraper on fire in order for this like one bad red guy to <laughs> who I think I imagined I think that was a dream I had I I've think... gotten to the point where I'm pretty sure that I had a dream about this red guy I don't think anyone sets a skyscraper on fire to get a red guy but, <laughs> but there's I mean I probably have already said this on the podcast but like I uh the number of car accidents in superhero movies make them almost impossible for me to watch seriously Like, every time, and I remember that specifically because I really like Black Panther. It's the only one of those movies that I regularly, like, enjoy. But there's all that scene where they're in, like, like Tokyo or something. They're somewhere totally preposterous. Or in South Korea or whatever. Anyway, and there's, like, nine car accidents. And I'm just like, I'm out. I'm sorry. I'm completely pulled out of this because you just killed a bunch of people in their cars. And that's, like, garbage. And Harry doesn't just cause car accidents. 
he actually doesn't want civilians to die in this thing, even if they're bad eggs. Yeah, that's true. I like that about Harry Potter. That's true. Yeah, the character has... It's a deep moral compass, and he's, you know, he's... Uh, and it's it's hard one. It's from, I don't know, it's from deep, deep in him. Strong moral compass. You uh, can't have a deep compass. That doesn't make no, any sense. Strong. Uh, he it's has, a powerfully magnetic one. Yeah, what what if you had a weak compass? Like, is that a... Th- can you get you a... You think like, magnet is bad. This compass needs, like, an upgrade. A compass has a magnet, right? Yeah, because it's magnetic north. Okay. Yeah. I was like, do I not understand compasses even kind of (laughs) i'm very glad i did so let's talk about death a little more because here we are at i mean one of the most brutal ones okay i have to tell you all a story before we talk about fred and i don't know if i've told this on the podcast before so if i have i'm sorry you can skip it or whatever what are you even doing here um when this book came out when i was i think a senior a junior or senior in high school I had this boyfriend all through high school and he told me that there were spoilers online. He was like a very, he was like a, like a kind of like an internet bro, like really before that was a thing. He was on like something awful forums, like in, you know, 2005. So he was like, there's spoilers online and Ron dies. And I believed that the entire time I read this book. I had a mean boyfriend, by the way, it turns out. But, and he knew it wasn't true. Like, he told, he, he lied to me. Um, but he was like, just so you know, and it was before book five came out, and he was like, just so you know, I read all the spoilers, and Ron dies at the end. So, like, good luck with this. So when Fred died, I was like, okay, are they really gonna kill two Weasleys? And I felt a little... I felt a kind of relief, although honestly, I like Fred better than Ron. <laughs> I think it would have been sadder for Harry if Ron died, so I'm okay that he didn't. But um, I just thought it was interesting for you all to know that as a 18-year-old, I read the entirety of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows waiting for Ron to be the one who died. Because I had a mean boyfriend, so the moral of the story is break up with your mean boyfriends. Anyway, what are your thoughts? I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah, whatever. I mean, spoilers are kind of nonsense. But yeah, it was actually very painful. <laughs> My little sister spoiled that Snape killed Dumbledore. But at least that was true. But that what? Wait, is it worse that you were expecting something that didn't happen? Also, she was a child. That's true. This she is my little. boyfriend deliberately telling me a lie to make me suffer psychologically while reading a book I love. Okay, that's well, you broke up with them and married me, so not a, a not exact. There was a big gap. There were there was a lot that happened <laughs> also, in the interim. I but... didn't actually break up with him. Oh yeah. So I made a lot of errors. Do you think he listens? I he's listened to at least one. I can't even. I can't begin to answer that question. Maybe he he's might. the one who didn't like the fact that our dog was no, on the he podcast. Likes, he has two dogs who he's obsessed with, which I like about him. Anyway, whatever. He's grown into, I think, a lovely man. But that sucked. By all accounts, good dude now. He's off, living his life. Is it worse to be on guard for a fake spoiler or to know the real spoiler? Well, I didn't know I knew a fake spoiler. That's true. The only I guess I probably experienced more relief than you did when my thing was fake. You know, this happened to me with Gawain and the Green Knight. 
Oh my god! Wait, what are you going to tell people about this? Because you told me there's coming it. There was an explicit hand job scene. There is, and that Dev Patel jizzed everywhere. He does, and then but I didn't know when it was going to happen. <laughs> so every scene, I'm like white knuckling it through. I'm like, is this the scene with jizz in it? Is Dev going to come in this scene? And you know, it's very. It's, it's a weird movie. It's pretty explicit. Most also. scenes in that movie could end in a way that like plausibly in, like, end with Dead Patel ejaculating. Well, yeah, and yeah. an extremely like visceral jizz. So that's my I our parents li- well this my, is one my experience of with mine it. Was I'm sorry jizz. that there's no elegant no, way to describe right. what happens true. in that movie. And I only know that because of podcast I listened to that was like we're not going to spoil anything except that like Dev Dev Patel like extremely visibly and explicitly comes in this movie and i was just like what could that mean and i told it to you (laughs) i told it to you because i needed to share the psychic burden with someone i'm not gonna say it ruined the movie for me but it did significantly alter my experience of watching the movie very sorry the thing that's funny is it did not alter mine particularly because i don't think i'm very afraid of that i wasn't afraid of it i just needed i just wanted to know when it was gonna happen um, I knew it was going to be in a scene with the sort of second iteration of Alicia Vikander, which is like she plays his like girlfriend and then she plays the like scary lady in the forest. The castle. Castle. Yeah. But it's a castle in a forest. Oh, I, yeah. Something Whatever. Like anyway, in the green. And I knew it was her who sort of precipitated this scene. So that I should have maybe warned you of. That it wasn't going to happen until she shows up a second time. I think we're going to have to revisit Green Knight. Also, a lot of people didn't know that was the same actress, which I find very funny. She's kind of nondescript. I think I was one of those people. Um, uh, hey, Green Knight, pretty good. Pretty good movie. And Now I think we told you something really upsetting about it, but... Definitely an influence on J.K. Rowling. The story of the Green oh, Knight. Oh, you can not tell this, she, Not no. this particular iteration. I mean, first but, of all, that's... She talks... I think there's, like, part of that in the Hogwarts of History exhibit. Or the the magical... What is that exhibit History called? of Magic exhibit. The History of yeah. Magic exhibit. Which is it was, touring? It was here. It's not here anymore. It It was quite. There's a book. But they talk about there's like a there's like part of it that's on the Green Knight. She was definitely influenced by the Green Knight, and I loved that movie actually. I I found it a hundred percent better than I expected. I thought it was going to be a superhero movie. No. Even though I knew what was it about, but even though I knew what it was about, it's a splooger hero movie. Ew. Don't we, say splooge. We might okay. have to. We might have to take that out. You know what it is that we're doing is we're avoiding talking yes. about the we ex- show, extremely sad thing. We show avoidance on the pod, but we yeah, do. Uh, you can Fred, tell that this is really sad for us. This is a nice arc. This is a great arc for Percy. For Percy, um, you know, he's finally over his toxic careerism. <laughs> Gen Z would be proud. Yeah. There's, <laughs> he's demanding better hours. He's, you know, he's tapping out mental health, all of that. But there's this really poignant line because you see a past where Percy wasn't always like this. And now he's returning to some of his roots. Um, she delivers a lot in a very short line where Fred says, I haven't heard you joke since you were. And you get this flashback to Percy and the twins, like joking around and laughing as like little kids and being like really bonded and there was some point where percy like 
drifted away or decided he had to be something else. So we see this whole other, uh, the pathos in this unlived life and relationship that Percy like could have had with, uh, with Fred and George and the whole family, really. Well, no, because, okay, not to blame the one woman in the story, but you know where this comes from, and it comes from Mrs. Weasley. Mm. I mean, Mrs. Weasley's great hope for all of her children was, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting and extremely tragic kind of, like, object lesson for Mrs. Weasley, but Percy is exactly who she hopes her children will be, and it makes him a trash cat. And it makes her miserable. And it makes her miserable. No, it is a very, what's, it's like a kind of a. Careful what you wish for. Like. What's the, what's the, I'm just in a Christmas mode. What's the Christmas story that Ernie and Bert Gift of the Magi. I. Okay, that's an, oh, that's not originated by Ernie and Bert Sesame Street. But yeah. (laughs) I just remember the Ernie and Bert version really well. Anyway, the Gift of the Magi, which is interesting because they're married and Ernie and Bert are like, quote unquote, just friends. But. That's all about love, though. This isn't really like a Gift of the Magi situation. This is more of like a monkey's paw. It is. Yes, that's what I was trying to imagine. I was trying to think of the monkey's paw. Halloween, not Christmas. Um, Is monkey's paw Halloween? It's Halloween-y. It's true. There's like it's upsetting. A, there's a monkey's paw. There's a maybe zombie. Yeah, fair. It's upsetting. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't have to dwell there much, but I do think Percy sort of lives out his mom's sort of cult of achievement, careerist vision for her children, and um, it turns out it's like pretty broken. Man, there's some like fucked up loathing of Arthur in there too. because like Arthur's like always kind of been like a low-level bureaucrat uh I guess not that low-level he runs a whole department but it's not a like prestigious department but she sees him as respectable I actually don't think it's a drag of Arthur she loves Arthur and she wants her kids to be like Arthur because Mm. she's like he has this like very respectable career you don't think she sees him as like underachieving I don't think she sees him as a failure I think their love is real. Yes. I think the Weasleys genuinely love each other. The whole family. And even Percy. But I guess you always want better for your children. Yeah. That's normal. That's good. Well, it's fucking sad for Percy. But he gets back to he gets back to his Weasley-ish roots here. I mean, they also sort of it is an interesting choice because they sort of gain a son, lose a son here. You know? Like, they get Percy back kind Man, of this is entirely. such an unfair trade. No, I know. Honestly. Well, the other thing that's so specifically cold of her, J.K. Rowling, and, and just awful, there's something kind of uniquely heinous about killing a twin. Right. Because they're because almost one person. George at least as written. is just... I mean, that's just... It's just an insurmountable loss for the other one. Yeah. Like, and I think she actually does really interesting thing with the almost mystical elements of, like, twinship with Fred and George. Like, there's something sort of inherently magical about them as twins. And there's kind of something inherently magical about the existence of twins, I think. Like, that kind of proximity is, yeah, there's a mysticism to it. And to cut that off for George... Yeah, it's like two deaths. Like, George losing that other half is 
it's just like unconscionable. It's awful. It's too sad. It's just too sad. It's cold, man. It's uh, I respect it <sighs> narratively, but yeah. it is cold. It's also this warning shot. Yeah. I mean, we've had lots it's like of a warning shot shots. Across the I bow, mean, for we had sure. a warning shot when With, Hedwig died. Oh, Hedwig, when she's like, like, "I'm not fucking around. I mean business." She's just like animals on the table. Dobby on the table. Weasleys on the table. But you know, it's another reminder as we head into like the downward plunge of the roller coaster. Anything can, anything can happen. You no, know, she is signaling that she will definitely kill a main character. Like, no bones about it. So, ouch. And a kid. That's the thing. You sort of expect, I remember kind of expecting the Order of the Phoenix to die. But when it was one of the Weasley children, I was like, oh, God. Maybe Ron does die. Nah. No. I, I, I really thought she was going to kill a member of the trio. Really? No, I fully, I mean, first of all, because like, whatever, I believe my stupid boyfriend. But like, sorry, he's now nice. Um, but yeah, I completely, I think Ron would have been a pretty feasible death. Seriously. Narratively? Yeah. Yeah. You can't, like, it's kind of too fucked up to kill Hermione. She's. She's like the only girl. Yeah. And she's, a, you know, she's like a muggle born. She's like already had a lot going against her. Like. No. I thought Ron, I really, I felt it completely believable. Although. It would be totally in keeping with J.K. Rowling to, like, murder, like, her main female character for the sake of the emotional event, like, to, like, to, like advance the emotional arc of, of the, the boys. The male, <laughs> the male mains, yeah. Uh, no, she's, it's only got to be one Weasley, because, yeah. as Stalin said, the death of one Weasley is a tragedy. The death of all the Weasleys is a statistic. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Uh-oh. man. Did you just hear Slack go off? Uh, yeah. Was that triggering for so <laughs> many listeners? I wonder if it caught the Slack notification. Because, ev- like, half, maybe not half, a lot of the people listening to this are going to, like, be like, oh, God. Check their phone. Oh, Jesus. That, that brush knock-knock that <laughs> sound is, like, in my nightmares. Who's your unsung hero? That should have been the sound that Voldemort, like, broke into Hogwarts with. Yeah, there God. it is. Right there. Can you turn that off? Uh... Yeah, in a second. Who's uh, your unsung hero? My unsung hero. You know what? Fuck it. My unsung hero is Percy Weasley. We said last episode that just showing up was enough to get unsung hero status. But here he is. He's dueling the Minister of Magic. He's cracking wise. And he's just like full member of the Resistance Yeah, again. just in time for the sort of insurmountable grief to happen to but, him you know i give it up i give it up to personally percy's actually been our unsung hero twice i'm pretty sure mm. he also got it for patrolling the corridors for serious black my unsung hero are the hufflepuffs because after gryffindor they are the highest representation of houses in the battle of hogwarts and i just find that extremely interesting it's my like this might be my elitism talking, but sort of my first instinct was like, it seems like there would be more Ravenclaws, but like you see Zachariah Smith and he's sort of emblematic of the kind of like mercenary intellect I think probably exists in Ravenclaws where they're kind of looking around and like kind of crunching the numbers. Like they're kind of like Moneyball Ravenclaws where they're like, I don't think this is the winning side, so I'm going to peace. <laughs> and Hufflepuffs are just, they're loyal and they believe in good. 
and they all stay and a lot of them die a lot of i think ernie dies i hope not i'm but, pretty sure ernie uh, dies but like honestly bitch. i don't fucking remember because i was 18 the last time i read right this. well we're gonna find we're gonna Ooh. be white knuckling it through for ernie mac do you think man we didn't discuss whether they should have like ransomed the slytherins or not i I mean, we sort of learn that that would work, but the thing is, we do learn that it would work because Narcissa totally screws over Voldemort because she like gets word about Draco. So, but I think the Malfoys are kind of the only family that seems intact in the sort of Death Eater side of things. Mm-hmm. Like, I think one of the reasons the Malfoys are pretty vulnerable is because there is genuine love in their family. And I think that's, like, kind of unique for the Death Eaters. Damn. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, in a way, their vulnerability and their redemption is because they are, I mean, they're bad eggs. But they're a pretty normal family in that they love each other. Dumbledore would have something super profound to say about that, probably. Or Or kind of... Really faux profound. Yeah. (laughs) Something that would look great in like cursive font like hanging above like in your entrance way in to this your house. house we believe yeah. <laughs> um anyway bless the hufflepuffs this week's episode is brought to you by the forests of albania when you're here your family sent your stalker looking for you <laughs> The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are once again from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Highly recommend these here audiobooks for these here times. Um, Next time, we will be reading the chapter called The Elder Wand. So look forward to that shit. It's just, it's it's fun from here on out. And by fun, I mean really devastating. Thanks. Amigos. There was much pushing and shoving. Harry saw Zachariah Smith bowling over first years to get to the front of the queue. I have a child! I have a child! Dear Father! Please, I have a child! Please, I'm all she has in the world. I must ask you, therefore, to move quickly and calmly and do as your prefix. But her final words were drowned as a different voice echoed throughout the hall. There was no telling from where it came. It seemed to issue from the walls themselves. There were screams amongst the students, some of whom clutched each other, looking around in terror for the source of the sound. Your efforts are futile. You cannot fight me. Without Ron and Hermione to help him, he could not seem to marshal his ideas. He put the map away, pressed his hands over his face, and closed his eyes, trying to concentrate. Think, think, think. Oh, yes, 